Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Uh, first of all, I want to say uh, thanks once again for uh, your remembrance uh, last week of our 25 years of ministry together because in truth, uh, this really is way more about us than it is about me and most of all, it is about uh, the work of Christ in our partnership in ministry uh, together. Uh, that said, uh, your blessings and your words and expressions of love uh, are a blessing to us and uh, makes us think of all the times we've laughed together and we've cried together and we've worshiped and served and celebrated uh, together, some of us a little bit longer than others, but all of us uh, around the gospel as we've uh, moved the mission of Christ forward here at St. Andrew, for which I am uh, very, very grateful. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Pastor Nick's comment last week uh, that I was installed at St. Andrew when he was three kind of freaks me out, uh, quite frankly, although it, it does uh, drag the average age of the pastoral staff down quite nicely when you think about it, uh, and also adds to my great joy in this partnership. And, uh, and speaking of ministry, whenever I uh, read that passage you just heard from Luke chapter 4, I cannot help but think again and again of the installation of the pastor that baptized and confirmed me and uh, accepted a call uh, after a mere 21 years uh, back to the church where he actually grew up many years uh, earlier and how at that service of installation, when it was over, I should say, a woman in the congregation came up to me and uh, said that the two of them were in the same confirmation class and then she proceeds to tell me that he was her first kiss behind the Sunday school building next to the church, which also freaked me out. And uh, it made me think about that question about whether you really can go home after all, though uh, in truth it turned out that he had very uh, good ministry there until his retirement. But uh, it does require me to ponder once again and uh, think once again about how vaguely that reminds me of this story in which Jesus returns to his hometown and into the very synagogue where he actually grew up. And just to set the stage for this, St. Luke tells us that Jesus was uh, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the, and the word for power in the Greek New Testament is the word dynamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. Uh, which expresses this very different and uh, explosive and far-reaching spiritual power of Jesus. Uh, having been baptized uh, by John in the waters of the Jordan River down in Judea, having moved northward back into the Galilee uh, where he preached in the synagogues of its towns and villages, and according to Luke, uh, was praised by everyone. He had already become a very popular and a well-known rabbi when he returns finally to his own hometown, to the synagogue at Nazareth on the Sabbath day, and there at the Shabbat or the Sabbath uh, service, the hometown boy stands up and he reads from the word of God, specifically from the prophecy of Isaiah. Now that suggests to us that Jesus was actually the second reader in the service that day because the first reading would have been from the Torah uh, or the first five books of the Bible as we know them. And then the second reading would be from the prophets, in this case, the prophecy of Isaiah. And we don't know whether Jesus uh, selected that particular passage or whether it was assigned to him that day, but what we do know 
is that 700 years earlier, Isaiah describes his own installation into the prophetic ministry. When he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, anointing is the way that a prophet uh, or a judge or a priest or a ruler was put into their office or uh, established in their role. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, uh, the restoration of sight to the blind, and liberation or freedom to those who were under oppression. Isaiah talks about all of those things. He has anointed me to do this. And, uh, and so those are the words that Jesus reads in the synagogue uh, that day. Uh, he had been set aside, pointed to, sent out by God to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then comes that phrase that I really want to zoom in on today, and that is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When you think about somebody doing you a favor, even a personal favor, you and I in our culture and mindset tend to think of uh, something that, you know, isn't extremely uh, vital, but it is a uh, kind of a minor or a rather low level act of kindness or assistance or, or help. It doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't create a lot of sacrifice on your part as in, you know, hey, will you do me a favor? Will you check my mail for me when I'm away? That's what it means for us to do each other a favor. But for Isaiah, it meant something way more than that. Because God's favor was very personal. God's favor was the bestowal of a blessing. It was an act of approval. It was an announcement of acceptance by God. And Isaiah refers to this in the context of an entire year, the year of the Lord's favor. And uh, in the Bible, uh, that year is also referred to by another name, and that is the year of the Jubilee. And in Leviticus chapter 25, this year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor was supposed to take place every 50th year, which is why we sometimes still refer to a special anniversary or a special celebration of one kind or another as a Jubilee, a celebration. And in this year of Jubilee, according to Leviticus chapter 25, some remarkable things were supposed to have happened. For one thing, if a man was enslaved by another man because of an unpaid debt, that man would be released in the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. Property that had been seized or taken away was to be returned to its original owner. All debts throughout the country were to be forgiven wiped clean. This was the year of the Lord's favor. This was the year of Jubilee. It was a, it was a fresh start. It was a new beginning. It was a second chance uh, for the people of God. And the year of Jubilee would begin with the playing, the, the blowing of the ram's horn. And the, and the ram's horn in Hebrew is the word yobel for jubilee or jubilant. And it's uh, was defined as uh, the raising of voices in praise uh, to God. And so the year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor was this remarkable year of absolutely overwhelming, almost incomprehensible grace and blessing. 
And so 700 years before that day when Jesus walks into the synagogue and reads this passage, Isaiah says that God has anointed me to proclaim the year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor. It almost sounds like it's too good to be true. And that's because, in fact, it was. And what I mean by that is that there is actually no hard evidence, either in or beyond the scriptures, that the year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor ever actually happened, according to Leviticus chapter 25. Apparently, it was just too hard to do. Apparently, they just couldn't pull it off. And yet, this is the passage that comes from the prophecy of Isaiah. This is the passage that Jesus reads when he returns to his hometown and to that synagogue on the Sabbath day, after which Luke tells us that he sits down because the rabbis would stand up to read and they would sit down to preach or uh, to deliver their teaching or their, their sermon or their homily. And there had to be a lot of electricity going on in this room as Jesus hands the scroll back to the attendant sits down, Luke says, the eyes of everybody were fixed on him. So that when Jesus begins his sermon, he makes the stunning announcement that the words of the prophet Isaiah, this great prophet, were now being applied to him. When he says to the group, to the congregation, today, this scripture, this promise, after all these years, has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, something that has never happened before, that you could never make happen, is now finally happening in me, in a very different but far more important, powerful, durable, and enduring way. He's saying that in him, all the debts of all the sins would be wiped clean. He's saying that in him, those who are blind to the, to the dazzling, spectacular, explosive power of God's grace would see it with brilliant clarity. He's saying that those who feel oppressed in their lives would experience a new kind of freedom, if not physically, then spiritually, which is obviously more important uh, than the two. And, and how does this happen? Why does this happen? Because Jesus had been anointed He had been given the power of the Holy Spirit by his Father God in his baptism to preach good news to the poor, to recover sight to the blind, to to proclaim liberty to the captives. I mean, here these people are, I mean, they're living under the law. I mean, they're living under oppression. They're looking for forgiveness. They're looking for grace. They're looking for acceptance and approval from God, and the bringer of grace and acceptance and approval and celebration is sitting right there in front of them, and he is one of their own. Now, I said earlier uh, that there's no real evidence uh, that the year of the Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor uh, ever really happened according to Leviticus chapter 25. However, If you fast forward to the year 1300, turns out that there was a Roman Catholic Pope by the name of Boniface VIII, and Boniface VIII actually instituted uh, the celebration of the year of Jubilee 
in the rites and ceremonies of uh, the church. In fact, if you go to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, uh, you will see a door there uh, that is very elaborate, very ornate. It is called the Holy Door. And this Holy Door is closed. It is locked. It is sealed. In fact, it is covered, literally barricaded by concrete and, and cement so that nobody can pass through the Holy Door unless and until the Pope declares a year of Jubilee as a special year of grace and blessing. And when that happens, the Masons will come and they will chip away at that wall that you see there. Until all of the mortar is gone, the door will be unlocked, uh, the ram's horn will be blown, and then the holy door will be open. And then those who make the pilgrimage to Rome, to St. Peter's Basilica, and walk into the church through that holy door will be given uh, what is known in the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, a plenary indulgence. In other words, uh, uh, an expression of forgiveness for, the, for punishment, remission of punishment for sins committed uh, in the past. This has not happened uh, since 2015. It will not happen again uh, until 2025. It has only happened like 35 times since the year 1300, so not very often. But when Pope Francis did this in 2015, he declared that God's grace and mercy transforms all things. And that is absolutely true. God's grace transforms all things. It's also true that at the end of the Jubilee, those doors are closed once again. They are sealed, shut, barricaded so that nobody can go through until there's another jubilee. What I want to say to you today is that we come here with brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world of all the tribes in the body of Christ. And we are here to celebrate something that goes back not just to the year 1300. We are here to celebrate something that goes back all the way to Luke chapter 4 when Jesus walks in to his own hometown synagogue, and he says today, this promise, this blessing, this grace is being fulfilled in your hearing so that you never have to wait anymore for the approval, for the blessing, for the acceptance of God. Because the door to his heart, to his kingdom, to his church, are open to you, and it will never be closed again. You know, you might be looking for, you know, some forgiveness in your life. You might be looking for acceptance. You might be looking for approval, some grace in your life. And that grace and all those gifts are right here in front of you, right here and right now, in his word in his sacramental presence, in the fellowship of his people, and in a place where every single door is a holy door because they are all open to you so that you get to come in and enjoy your new life. Because in Jesus Christ, every year is the year of the Lord's favor. Every year is the year of jubilee. That's what this passage is really all about, at least to me today.
And today, that's what you and I get to celebrate once again. And that's the good news that you and I also get to proclaim because we've also been anointed in our baptism. We have been sent out and commissioned with our actions and in our words to show this broken-hearted world the grace that changes all things. As to the reaction of uh, the congregation in Nazareth that day, uh, Pastor Nick is going to walk us through that next week as the passage from Luke chapter 4 continues. What I want to say to you for now is that whoever you are, whatever you're looking for in your life, you are a child of God, you're welcomed into his house, your debts have been paid at the cross of Christ, who journeyed there for our freedom, for our liberation, for our spiritual sight, for our joy forever. Whoever you are, God's house and the door to that house is open to you. And I pray today uh, that you would know the grace to welcome him, to receive him, to hold him close to your heart, and to know that in all things, you and I, have the personal favor of God. May you enjoy it to his glory and for the hope of your life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.